This is Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov. Welcome to each and every one of you here at our 3ABN studios and those who are watching around the world or listening wherever you may be. I want to give you a very, very warm welcome to this new six-part series, End Time Love and Loyalty, where we're going to unpack six all-important topics on how to prepare for the soon return of Jesus. The opening message I've entitled The Secret to Peace and Happiness. I want to begin by reflecting on a Time magazine front cover from 50 years or so ago. Back in 1966, April 8, Time magazine put out a a fascinating cover. Is God Dead was the title in the midst of a time when there were great changes taking place in the world. And um, I find it fascinating that 50 years on, almost uh, exactly, we have this front cover of Time magazine that came out on April 3, 2017, Is Truth Dead? So as we take a look at uh, this title, Is Truth Dead? And the story was highlighting uh, President Donald Trump and his take on truth in this post-truth world. The question is being asked, can we know for certain what is right and what is wrong? Can we know what is true and what what isn't true? It's true today. We live in a a post-truth world where truth today is very much relative. Uh, We live in what I like to call the age of Nike. You know what Nike is is famous for? It's famous, famous for its logo. Just do it. And we live in a day and age where, where people are here for a good time and not necessarily a long time. I remember hearing of this website and I was very distressed by this website, specifically uh, targeting married men and married women. And uh, the, the website was entitled um, Have an Affair, Have an Affair. Uh, Life is short, have an affair. And that's the kind of world we are living in today. Today we find ourselves in a world where moral standards, which once were rock solid, are now non-existent. And I want to share with you what I consider to be the downward spiral of morality based on these standards that once were rock solid but are now almost non-existent. Let me share this with you and you, you tell me if you think that this is the way things have been going. The downward spiral of morality. Firstly, immoral acts are abhorred. Then they are tolerated. Then they are accepted. Then they are promoted. And finally, immoral acts are defended. This is the day and age that you and I are living in. Uh, What once upon a time was considered uh, very wrong today is considered just different and a different way of doing things. Uh, I remember hearing uh, the first time that Hollywood sent their cameras into the bedroom to film a husband and a wife sitting in bed together with their pyjamas. There was an outcry. There was an outcry. How dare Hollywood take their cameras into the sanctity of of the bedroom and film a couple in their bed together in their pyjamas? Well, Hollywood goes into more than just a bedroom uh, filled with individuals who have their pyjamas on. Things have completely changed. And so today we're living in a, in a world where, where the moral compass, the moral compass has been thrown out the window and we find ourselves in a state of confusion. Today our, our society, I would say, has turned its back on God and His moral standards. This was a billboard um, 
before the 2016 census that took place here in Australia, a national census. And this was a billboard that was advertising, not religious anymore, mark no religion on the 2016 census. Uh, There was a a campaign uh, to encourage those who were no longer religious to tick the not religious box, which happened to be at the top of the religious section on our census in 2016. I found it fascinating that when the census results came through, there was an article in the ABC News June 27, 2017, with this title. Census results. Australians are older, ethnically diverse and losing their religion. Well, I wasn't too surprised about the ethnic diversity here in Australia. And I certainly wasn't surprised that Australians are getting older. I think most Western countries are experiencing this. But it was quite interesting to notice that according to the census data that we are losing our religion. And this was a graph in that particular article and I want to share it with you. Notice here, this is a graph taking us back from 1966 to 2016, so a 50-year period. Incidentally, they were the the two Time magazines that we looked at earlier on, looking at this 50-year gap. Christianity or those who claimed uh, to be Christians in 1966, the numbers were around 90 percent. By 2016, those numbers had gone down to 50 percent. So a 40 percent drop in 50 years of those who claimed to be Christian, whereas those who claimed no religion, that number went from almost zero percent, maybe one or two percent, all the way up to 30 percent. And so today, that's the day and age that you and I are living in. We are living in a day and age where people no longer are affiliated with a particular faith or religion, where people do not necessarily have religious views and convictions and morals that they run their lives by. Arnold Toynbee, he was a historian, a very famous historian. He's passed away a number of years ago, but he was a famous historian. And he is famous for this epic series on world history entitled A Study of History. Why do they disintegrate and collapse? Before we take a look at one of his major conclusions, I just want to share with you a little bit on this 12-volume study. Arnold Toynbee looked at uh, history. He looked at 19 civilizations that have arisen to ascendancy, but then they have fallen and completely become crushed and obsolete. And he took a look at these 19 civilizations and he took a look from, from their development all the way through to their decay. And he took a look at what were some of the major factors. A number of factors were listed. And one of the primary reasons why these past civilizations, some of them wonderful, great civilizations, including the Roman Empire, not only decayed, but were eventually destroyed was through this. And these are his own words. Lawlessness leads to destruction. These are the words of Arnold Toynbee, who who studied uh, these uh, world historical empires over a long period of time. And he wrote this 12 volume series. 
Jesus, in fact, shared the same thing with us 2000 years ago. Well, before Arnold Toynbee came onto the scene, these are the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 is a passage where Jesus outlines uh, the history of the world from his day all the way through to the end of time, including the history of the Jewish nation from his day all the way through to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Notice what Jesus had to say in Matthew 24 and verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound, notice the next words. Notice the result when lawlessness abounds. The love of many will do what? Will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. So when there is lawlessness, the natural progression is that the love of many grows cold. Now, What kind of glove was Jesus here referring to? Uh, The Greeks had four main words for the word love. And I have them up here on the screen for you. The first one is phileo, which is love between close friends. The second one is storge, love between family members. Then you have the word eros. We get the word erotic in English from that. And that is sensual or romantic love. And then finally, we have the word agape, the fourth Greek word. And that is referring to God's love, God's immeasurable, incomparable love for humankind. Agape love is perfect, unconditional, sacrificial and pure love. This is the love that Jesus was speaking of. When Jesus said the love of many will grow cold when lawlessness abounds, what Jesus was saying is that the natural consequence, sadly, of lawlessness will be that genuine love, that agape love. That's the word there that is used, that agape love, that unconditional love between between God and humanity, between between humans that will grow cold when God's law, when God's law goes out the window. So let's take a look at what I consider to be exhibit A of that unconditional love here amongst society. This is a picture here of my grandparents. Here they are, my grandparents. Um, this picture here on your left is um, taken a few years ago when they were celebrating their 483rd birthday together. That's not a bad innings, is it? <laughs> not quite. Granddad, um, he's 83. Grandma, she's 84. So we put it all together and um, yeah, we had a big celebration for them. Their birthdays are, are 10 days apart in June. And so we had a wonderful celebration. That picture there on your right was taken three years ago when they celebrated their 70th wedding anniversary. Can you believe being married to the same person for 70 years? That's quite amazing, isn't it? Some people don't even live to 70, let alone are married for 70 years. I mean, they were married um, at an early age. Uh, granddad was 17 and grandma was 18 when they got married. They're in their, in their village in Macedonia. And as far as they're concerned, uh, their love was to remain until the day they died. They were true to their commitment. They were true uh, to one another. And they've been through some difficult times, many challenging times, but through them all, they made a decision that they were going to stick it out. They were going to encourage one another and help one another. That is that love. 
That is that genuine love. Sadly, uh, there isn't that much of that today. And I don't need to remind you of the, of the sadness and the heartache uh, that many families today are experiencing, many couples are experiencing, many children are experiencing due to the love of many grown cold. Here is a picture of our entire family. We got together and we had a, a wonderful time. Um, a celebration is almost, uh, well, there's, there's, over 40, there's over 40 members of the family now. Um, grandma and granddad had five children, uh, 11 grandchildren, and then they had 13 great-granddaughters in a row waiting for their first great-grandson who finally arrived, <laughs> number 14, and um, there's another one on the way, and two more twin great-granddaughters um, coming up before the end of the year. So they'll have 17 great-grandchildren. And, um, and it's wonderful to hang out with my grandparents. I love spending time with them because when I'm with them, they, they show me just the way they live, the way they interact with one another. They show me how, what true love is. And they've been married for so long. I remember one time, I'll just tell you this funny story. One time I, I asked my, my grandma, I said, what's the secret? What's the secret to being married for so long, 70 years? And she looked at me and with a smile, she said, oh, my son. She said, you know, your, your grandfather's pretty much deaf. And I said, yes, I know. So that, that's part of the secret. That's part of the secret. <laughs> So what's it like as we ask this all-important next question? What is the God-given recipe for peace, love, and true happiness? That's what we want to find out in this presentation today. And we're going to pause and we're going to ask God, the God of the Bible, to bless our time together as we seek to understand what His plans and His purposes are for discovering how we can have peace and happiness in our lives, which is what everyone is seeking for. So let's just pause and pray for a moment. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for your word. Uh, we recognize that we're living in a world where um, things are falling apart. Things are crumbling all around us. Uh, those most important and precious relationships are just falling apart. And, um, and we need something to hold us together. We need something to hold our communities, our families together. And so we're we're asking and praying that as we open your word today, that you will speak to us words of wisdom, words of grace, words of truth. For you have promised in your word that your word is truth. So bless us, we pray in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Well, I want to begin by going to the book of Revelation as we unpack what Scripture has to say regarding God's perfect plan for peace and happiness. The book of Revelation has what is called the three angels' messages. Uh, these three angels' messages, uh, God's final message of love to the world, needs to go to the entire world. And when, when these three uh, all important messages are shared with the entire world. Then the Bible says in Revelation chapter 14, Jesus will come. So these three angels' messages prepare the entire world for the second coming of Jesus. And notice how the first angel's message begins. John writes, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people. Notice, uh, this message is the everlasting gospel. Jesus in Matthew 24 verse 14, he told us, And this gospel of the kingdom will go to all the world as a witness to all the nations. And what will happen then? 
the end will come. So this is the gospel that Jesus said must go to the whole world before he returns in an end time context. And notice how the first angel begins sharing the everlasting gospel, the everlasting good news about God and his love and his willingness to save all of humanity, that all be saved and none perish. Notice the first words of the, the angel as he, as he shares this message that needs to go to the whole world. In Revelation 14, verse 7, we read, saying with a loud voice, those words there, loud voice in the original uh, are the words megaphone. This is a megaphone voice. This, this is not a whisper. This is a message that needs to be, be proclaimed in, in a loud voice to the whole world. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Notice those first two words, fear God, fear God. Now, when it comes to fearing God, does this mean that we ought to be afraid of God? Is God someone to be afraid of? The last time I checked my Bible, Jesus came and he said, I'm a friend of sinners. Jesus came and he was welcomed by the people that he came to save. Those that were, those that were focused on, 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 on having a relationship with him. God is not someone to be afraid of. God is someone to be a friend of. So what does the Bible mean? When it says fear God, well, let's unpack what these words mean. In other parts of the Bible, we have we have a definition and we have some some more clarification on what it means to fear God. Notice these words that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. What does the Lord your God require of you but to do what? To fear the Lord your God. There are those words again repeated to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you for your good. This is a beautiful passage and a beautiful definition of what it means to fear God. To fear the Lord, it means to love him. It means to serve him with all of your heart. It means to keep his commandments and his statutes, which ultimately are for your good and my good always. That's what it means to fear God. It means to honor him, to reverence him and, and to do that, which he has invited us to do, which is for our good. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 24, we read these words. The Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord. There are those words again. To fear the Lord our God for our good. How often? For our good always, for our good always. When you and I drive on the road, as we drove to this venue here today, we came across uh, various uh, traffic signals, isn't that right? Along the way, we came across stop signs, give way signs, um, traffic lights, or whatever the case may be. Why are they there? They are there to protect us, isn't that right? That's what the laws on the road are there for. They are there to protect us so that we can safely navigate from home to wherever our destination may be. Today, we have also laws and we always have had laws in physics and in science. Uh, there are laws that govern uh, the solar system and our universe. Uh, there are laws of health. If you and I, if you and I respect the laws of health, 
we are more likely to, to live a happy and a healthy life. Isn't that right? Then if we disrespect the laws of health. Then there are laws when it comes to happy families and happy marriages. Then there are also laws when it comes to finances. So whichever way we look, we discover that laws are are put in place in order to bring us happiness, in order to bring us peace, in order to bring us joy, in order to bring us satisfaction, in order that you and I may enjoy a holistic life. That is the reason why we have laws and the reason why God has given us his laws. The reason why he has given us his word is for that same reason, for our good always. Notice some more scriptures in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18. We read these words. Happy is he who keeps the law. Here is another passage from Psalm 119 verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. So God's plan is for us to have peace, for us to have happiness. Here is another in John 15, verse 10, the words of Jesus. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice by by keeping The commandments of God, just as Jesus kept his father's commandments, we abide in the love of Christ. We are one with Christ. Love is the very foundation of God's government. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love. Not that God loves, but that God is love. The very essence of of God is love. The most powerful force in the universe is the love of God. It's more powerful than any other substance in the universe. The greatest force, the greatest power is God's love. Let me share with you something uh, regarding God's love and God's law. Notice up here on the screen, we have scriptures that describe God and who he is and God's law and what it is. And you'll discover the incredible, the incredible parallels and similarities between God and his law. The Bible says God is love. The Bible says his law is love. The Bible says God is good. The Bible says God's law is good. And there are those scriptures that you can look up. God is holy and perfect and pure and just. And so is his law. God is true and spiritual and righteous, faithful and unchangeable, eternal. And so is God's law. So whatever God is, his law is. In other words, God's law is a transcript of his character. God's character is his law. It's who he is. And in fact, we ought not to be surprised because The constitution, the the laws that govern a particular country will determine whether that country is a place worth living in or not. Isn't that right? There are people around the world that risk life and limb, including many that have tried 
desperately to make the trek from their homeland across the waters to Australia. We call them boat people here in Australia or or refugees in other parts of the world. They risk life and limb to leave their homes where there is war, where there is lawlessness, where there is oppression, where there is religious and, and political persecution in order to go to a country where they can have peace, where there are laws where, where there is freedom to, to worship and, and freedom to have political rights and so on and so forth. So today we live in a country that is blessed because of our laws, because of our constitution. And so the commandments of God are the constitution of heaven. We'll discover the constitution of the very universe. Now, let's take a look, a closer look at this idea The Bible shares that God is love. On one particular occasion, we discover in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 40, uh, a religious lawyer, uh, an expert in the law of Moses, in particular, the Ten Commandments. He came to Jesus on one occasion. And this is what Matthew records. Teacher is what he asked. Which is the great commandment in the law? And he's speaking of the Ten Commandments in particular. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is a very powerful scripture. Here Jesus summarized the entirety of not only who he is, not only what his aim is for humanity, but what God's plan is for the entire world in order for there to be peace, happiness, joy and security. Let's unpack this. Firstly, the Bible tells us that God is love. That's what the Bible says. God is love. First John chapter four, verse eight. Jesus said, you show the love of God by showing love towards God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Love towards God, love towards your fellow human being. Well, how do we show love towards God? We show love towards God by keeping those first four commandments. How do we show love towards one another? by keeping the next six commandments, which pertain to our relationship with one another. Well, what did Jesus say? On these two hang all the what? All the law and the prophets. Now, what are all the law and the prophets? That's the entirety of Scripture. That's another way of saying the whole Bible. So the whole Bible is summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself which are shared in more detail in those first four and in the last six commandments on those two tablets of stone. So can you see the centrality of God's law? This is the very foundation of not only the universe, but this is the very foundation for happiness, peace and security. As we continue, we discover that God gave us the Ten Commandments and he wrote them on two tablets of stone and he wrote them with his very own finger and he placed them in the ark, the ark of the covenant. This 
was to be placed in the most holy place. It was placed in the most holy place there in the sanctuary. And the Ark of the Covenant represented the very throne room of heaven. We have these two angels that, that represent the, the, the two cherubim that are there by the throne of God. And uh, they are there uh, uh, kneeling uh, in, this, in this artist's depiction on, the, on, on what is the mercy seat, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, which is the mercy seat. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, we have the Ten Commandments. We have these two tablets of stone that God himself wrote with his very own finger. That's significant. The Ten Commandments are that significant that God wrote with his very own finger. They're called commandments for a reason. They're not the ten good ideas. They're not the ten recommendations. They're not the ten suggestions. They are the ten commandments. That is because they are extremely important. And there is no other place, no other place in Scripture where God with his very own hand writes on tablets of stone. Instructions for the human race. And why do we write things on stone? That's because we want that to remain forever. Isn't that right? I've been to the Middle East um, on two occasions and there are inscriptions from thousands of years ago that are still to this day. And these inscriptions give the history and, um, and messages from the past because they were to, to, to be remembered and to remain for a long time. Now, there is huge significance to these Ten Commandments. Um, there was a time when I used to believe and think that when God wrote on those Ten Commandments, He wrote on two tablets of stone from Mount Sinai that Moses handed to God. And He wrote on those two tablets of stone and then passed them back to Moses. In fact, a few years ago, when I had the opportunity of going to what is called the traditional Mount Sinai, um, the place there in Egypt on the Sinai Peninsula, a place called St. Catherine's, I picked up a stone. This is from the traditional uh, mountain where many believe. Um, we, we, we're not sure uh, the mountain and, um, and where it exactly is that Moses received the Ten Commandments. But I picked up a stone and I used to think, that the Ten Commandments were placed on stone similar to this until one day I discovered where the original Ten Commandments in fact came from. Let me share with you something absolutely incredible. Let's go to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 24 and verse 9. Exodus chapter 24 and verse 9 and notice these words. Then Moses went up. This is God inviting Moses to go up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And he went up, also Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. So here, what the Bible is describing is... This sapphire stone that Moses and those that were with him saw, and they say that it was as clear as the heavens. Now, what color is the heaven when you look up and there are no clouds? What color is it? 
blue. And there's plenty of blue sky today. When I left home, it was all blue sky, not a cloud in the sky. Blue. And we know that that blue is a, is a significant color when it comes to sapphire stone. It's one of the most treasured. Uh, one of the most expensive sapphire stones is blue, uh, the color of royalty. Well, let's continue on and let's take a look at what Ezekiel has to say. As we put a couple more pieces together, Ezekiel says, and he's also in vision. Well, he is in vision and he says, and there in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubim, is speaking of God's throne, there appeared something like a sapphire stone. There are those words again, having the appearance of the likeness of a throne. So here Ezekiel sees this sapphire stone in the heavens that appears like a throne. Very interesting. Now let's go back to to Exodus as, as we pick up the rest of the story. Exodus chapter 24 and verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I will give you tablets of, and I've included the word the, because the word the is in the original. It's not in the New King James Version or the King James Version, but I looked at the New Living Translation and guess what? It was there. They've included that word the, which is in the original Hebrew. The stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. Now, what's so significant about the the? What's significant about the the is that the the is in reference to the stone that Moses has seen. And that stone is that sapphire stone as clear as the what? as clear as the heavens, that blue sapphire stone. So this was news to me and this was huge and absolutely huge spiritual insight that I received that God, those very first commandments, God wrote on tablets of stone from his very throne room, blue sapphire throne room. God chiseled out of his very throne room two tablets of sapphire stone, blue sapphire stone. He wrote his law of love on them and he passed them down to Moses. Isn't that incredible? That is so incredible. Absolutely amazing. Let me share with you a scripture from Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8. Your throne, O God, is what? Forever and ever. This tells us that God's law is to remain forever and ever. And here's another scripture, Luke 16, 17. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away, said Jesus, than for one tittle of the law to fail. This is the eternal law of God. And David in Psalm, he shares that all of God's commandments are sure. They last forever and ever. In Numbers chapter 15, uh, Moses gave directions based on God's word of what the children of Israel were to sew on the tassels of their garments, okay, on their clothing that they wore each day. Notice these words in Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 to 41. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread, notice the color, a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. Let's continue. 
and you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, and that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, and that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So what were the children of Israel to do? They were to sow blue thread on the tassels of their garments. So as they walked, wherever they walked, they would remember the law of God, that law of love that was to be a blessing, that law of love that was to offer them peace and happiness and to be for their good always. When the children of Israel walked out of their tents in the morning and they looked up into the heavens and they could just see the beautiful blue heavens, they were to be reminded of God's law of love, that law of love of protection, that law of love that provides blessings, that law of love that provides for everything that is to be for their good always. And they were to thank God and praise Him that they are encircled, encircled by the law, which is the character, which is the love of God. Encircled by the love of God each and every day. That's what God's law is all about. It tells us that we have a solid foundation. It tells us that we come from a God who loves us. We come from a God who has given us instructions on how we can enjoy the best possible life in the here and now and be part of His everlasting kingdom of love where His love will reign supreme forevermore. Lawlessness leads to what? Said Toynbee, destruction. God's law leads to love, prosperity, joy, happiness, peace, and the list goes on. Sadly, the children of Israel did not follow God's law of love. They turned their back on His law of love. They they turned away from the Lord and sadly they were taken into captivity. The northern tribes or the northern part of Israel, the 10 northern tribes were taken into captivity in 722 BC, followed by the southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, that were taken into captivity by the Babylonians, the northern tribes by the Assyrians, and the Babylonians overthrew Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in 586 BC. These words are very sad that Isaiah penned in relation to God's people walking away from his law of love. We read in Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 18. Oh, this is God. This is God crying for his people, weeping over his people. And these are the words of God. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. The reality of why we have so much pain and suffering today is because we have walked away from God's law of love. That's the reason why we have so much pain and suffering in this world. That is the reason why there is so much pain and heartache in families. That is the reason why there is just so much of that which is not God's plan for us because we have walked away from God's law of love. Therefore, today, God is calling the world back to the Ten Commandments. 
today. The Ten Commandments define and protect our most precious relationships. Notice the first four commandments protect our relationship with God. And the next six, the last six, protect our relationships with one another. You see, God's commandments are all about protecting relationships. Our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And I don't know about you, but for me, the most important thing in life is relationships. That's more important than my home that the bank owns anyway. That's more important than my car. That's more important than anything else I have. My relationship with my wife, my relationship with my daughters, my relationship with my parents, my relationship with my other family members, my relationship with my neighbors, with my friends, with my church family, my relationships with people in general. That is what matters most. And the Ten Commandments have been given by God to protect and affirm and prosper the most important thing in life, and that is relationship between God and you and between you and your fellow man. I want to share with you an interesting point regarding uh, the way the Ten Commandments have been set out. If you take a look at the first four, the first four commandments take a look at and focus in on our relationship with God. The next commandment, commandment number five, focuses on the relationship between the, the immediate family members, mother, father and children, family. That's next. Then we have the next four commandments, commandments number six, seven, eight and nine that focus on our relationship with one another. And then finally, commandment number 10 is dealing with our attitude toward our possessions, Okay, this is the order that God has given the commandments from top to bottom. God, family, others, possessions, that order. And notice, when we are following God's order, which way are we heading? We're heading up. Can you see the arrow? Yes or no? Who, who can see the arrow? Okay. <laughs> the arrow, it's pointing up. Society is moving up. You see, our societies are only as strong as our families. The family unit is the very basic and the foundational framework for a happy and a prosperous society. As goes the family, so goes society. Sadly, we have turned our back on God and sadly we are turning our back on family. But notice how the enemy has turned God's Ten Commandments and God's priority list upside down. We have possessions on top for many people. Isn't that right? People are willing to sacrifice health, family, whatever the case may be in order to prosper in their careers or finances or whatever the case may be. And then others, others with the time that's available. Family? Well, who needs family? Who needs to worry about grandparents? I mean, why worry about grandparents? Just stick them in some nursing home. And like, what, what use have grandparents got to, to anyone today? That's how a lot of people think. And I'm speaking from people that I know. Then there is family. Well, and we talked about that. And then finally, God. 
<laughs> what's the point of God in your life? We, we don't need God today. Why, why do we need God? We've got everything. And as you can see, the arrow is heading south. When our priorities get tipped upside down as individuals and as a society, we head down. The Ten Commandments are God's standard in the judgment. Notice what we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Solomon, at the end of his will and testimony in the book of Ecclesiastes, he sums up what is most important. And he shares these words. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. There are those words again from the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verse 7 that we looked at earlier. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So what matters most is to put God first, to put his law of love first and foremost in your life. And then you will prosper in harmony with God's plan and God's will for your life. Well, the question needs to be asked, can I be saved by keeping God's law? That's a good question. Let's find out what the Bible says. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we cannot be saved by keeping God's law. God's law is not designed to save anyone. We are saved as the Apostle Paul writes so succinctly and so clearly we are saved by God's grace through faith, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. God's grace alone saves us. So the question is, what is the main purpose of God's Ten Commandments. If we cannot be saved by keeping God's law, then, then why bother? And, and what's the purpose? Well, let me share with you what the book of James shares regarding what the main purpose is for God's law. The main purpose for God's law is to point us to our great need, just as a mirror. A mirror points out the, the muck, the dirt in someone's face, so too God's law is like a mirror. I didn't come up with that. You can read about that in James. James talks about God's law as a mirror. It's there to, it's there to help us understand what we look like, what our condition is. That's why you go to a mirror. Isn't that right? You go to the mirror, especially if you need to go to the mirror. <laughs> I was about to say something and I know I would have got in trouble. So just as well that I contained myself. <laughs> You go to the mirror to discover what you look like and what needs to be addressed. Isn't that right? That's the purpose of a mirror. A mirror doesn't clean you. A mirror just simply states the obvious and shares with you what your condition is. And then you, you take that water and you take the soap and that's how you get cleaned. That's how you get cleaned. In the same way, God's law is there to tell us that we need Jesus, that we desperately need him. We need his precious blood to clean us, to cleanse us from all of our sins. We need his robe of righteousness, that towel to clothe us. We need Jesus to take away that dirt, that sin that only he can take. And so God's law and without God's law, we would not know our true condition. 
Without the law, there would be no sin. Because the Bible very clearly says that, that without the law, there is no sin. And we'll look at that scripture in just a moment. And without sin, there would be no need for a saviour. I want to go to this next scripture and then I want to unpack that just a little more. In Romans 3.20, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. God's law helps us to know what is right and what is wrong. God's law enables us to understand what is sin and what is righteousness. God's law is there designed to point us to Jesus. God's law is that mirror and it points us to Jesus who cleanses us from sin and then helps us to know how we ought to live a life in harmony with God's will, in harmony with God's plans for our lives because God ultimately wants us to prosper. He ultimately wants us to be successful. He ultimately wants us to be in good health. He wants us to be happy. That is God's ultimate plan. So the law of God serves to point us to Christ. And if we did not have the law of God, we would not realize that we are sinners. And we would not realize that we need a sin-pardoning Savior and we would have no idea and we would not realize that we need Jesus. The law is absolutely essential. Without the law, there ultimately is no need for a Savior. And so that is the, the absolute foundational importance of God's law. Notice, for those who love God, keeping His commandments is not a burden, but a blessing. Notice what we read in 1 John chapter 5 and verses 2 and 3. By this, writes John, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. When you love someone, when you love someone, you honor them, you're loyal to them, you're even willing to fulfill the vows you have made to that special someone, not because you have to, not because it's a burden, but because you love them. Isn't that right? You count it a blessing. You count it a joy because you're in love with that person. And so those who, those who honor God, those who keep His commandments, they do it not as a burden, not as a requirement, but they do it out of love, out of loyalty. And the greatest, the absolute greatest sign of loyalty and love is obedience. That's the greatest sign. And that's why two people, when they get married, they will exchange vows. And those wedding vows declared before one another, declared before many witnesses, are precious because those wedding vows are signs of loyalty and commitment and genuine love for one another that is lived out through actions and not just Talk, talk, talk. Isn't that right? What do they say? Actions speak louder than what? Words. Words. And often you'll hear people say, well, you know, put your money where your what? Where your mouth is. Exactly right. So we know that actions speak louder than words. Where does 
God want to place his law of love? Notice what we read in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. God says, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God wants to place his law of love in our hearts. Because you see, unless God's law of love is in our hearts, we will never genuinely obey God from the right motive. And the motive for obedience must always be love. Must always be love. Not because we have to, or because we're forced to, but because we love to, because we love God and we want to honour Him and we want to have a relationship with Him. Revelation describes God's faithful end time people in these words. We read in Revelation 12, 17, and the dragon and the dragon here is a symbol for Satan was enraged with the woman. And this is a symbol of God's church or God's people in particular at the end of time, as we discover. And he went to make war with the rest or the remnant or those remaining ones at the end of time of her offspring who notice keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Who is the enemy angry with most at the end of time? He's angry with those who are showing love and loyalty to Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ. Why? Because he wants to take them away from that love and loyalty they're showing to God, to his son, Jesus Christ. And he wants to take away that loyalty that belongs to God and to his son and place that love and loyalty toward himself. We read in Revelation 14, verse 12, these words. Here is the patience of the saints. These are God's end time people described. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Here they are spoken of again. God's end time people who the devil hates, but they are faithful to Jesus. They keep his commandments and they are patient saints. We also read in Revelation 22 verse 14, the last chapter in the book of Revelation, these words. Revelation 22 and verse 14, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Notice this is the reason why the devil hates God's end time people. This is the reason why the enemy doesn't want anyone to keep God's commandments because those that love God and keep his commandments out of loyalty, they will through Christ make their way into the city, into the new Jerusalem. They will be saved according to Revelation 22 verse 14. But notice who is on the outside of the city. Notice these words in verse 15. We keep reading. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Inside the city, we have God's commandment keeping people. Outside the city, we have those who are commandment breakers. Can you see that? These individuals have chosen to break God's commandments. They have chosen not to live their lives in harmony with God's principles of love. They have chosen to live according to the dictates of this world according to the according to the constitution of the enemy who roams and, and, and who influences this world whose 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 basic constitution is if it feels good just do it. If it makes you feel good just do it. 
Don't worry about the consequences to yourself or anyone else. They have chosen to live like that and they will sadly be outside the new Jerusalem. Because only those who want to live in harmony with the law of God's love will be inside that city where there will be peace and happiness and joy forevermore. Ultimately, our love for Jesus will determine our loyalty to God's law of love. I want to finish off with the words of Jesus where he writes, where he says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what it's all about. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus asks, do you love me? Do you want to be part of my kingdom? Do you want to be part of my kingdom? Will there be no more, no more separation? Will there be no more suffering? There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more death, divorce, destruction. There will be no more famine. There will be no more pain. Do you want to be part of a kingdom where everyone will live in harmony with my law of love, love towards God and eternal love towards one another? If you do, I'm inviting you, come and join me and be part of my kingdom. Is that your desire to be part of that kind of kingdom? If it is, I want to invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your law of love. Thank you so much for inviting us to be part of your everlasting kingdom of love that will rule forevermore. Oh, Father, may we all find ourselves in your kingdom, in that city, on that great and awesome day when Jesus comes is our prayer in his name. Amen. listening to Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au.